Welcome to the Monocle Current Account. In this podcast, our research team catches you up on what happened this week in the world of finance and regulations. Welcome to the Monocle Current Account. The South African Reserve Bank released its latest publication of the Financial Stability Review for 2020. The publication, which is released biannually, identifies and analyzes potential risks that threaten South Africa's financial system resilience to systemic risk and its ability to efficiently intermediate funds. Stick around as we cover this story in more depth in our main story. I'm Guy Wilding, and I'm joined by Robin Wilkinson and Chris Strally. Welcome, guys. Hi, Guy. Hey, Guy. We're the research and content team here at Monocle, and this is The Current Account. Our headlines from this week include the ongoing exchange control confusion, South Africa's credit rating downgrade, the European Central Bank's position on banks withholding dividends, and the High Court's ruling on contingent business interruption insurance payouts. Earlier this week, uh, the Saab withdrew an exchange control circular released last month relating to reclassifications of what constitutes a domestic asset. Uh, the bank stated it was looking to review the attempt at exchange relaxation, which had caused confusion in the local financial sector. So we spoke to Kellen Pottier, one of our analysts working in the exchange-traded funds industry, about this. Hi, Kellen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Guy. Thanks for having me. So this exchange control circular has been causing quite a stir over the last couple of days. What's the reason for it creating so much debate among South African asset managers? Yes, you're absolutely correct. There's been so much debate in the past month and particularly in the past couple of days as the Saab retracted the statement. Now, the Saab circular stated that all remaining foreign classified debt and derivative instruments, as well as exchange traded funds referencing foreign assets that are inward listed on a South African exchange traded and settled in RAND, will be classified as domestic. The reclassification of foreign assets as domestic was viewed by many in the industry as a relaxation of the exchange controls which are currently imposed by Regulation 28, the regulation which governs retirement funds. Our local investment industry has previously benefited from Regulation 28, which has limited offshore exposure to 30%, and this has had the effect of crowding in local capital market investment. Now, the shift in policy would effectively allow local investors to obtain 100% offshore exposure, primarily through exchange-traded funds issued by collective investment managers. These changes would affect the retirement industry from a portfolio construction perspective, but it's also very likely to result in outflows from domestic active asset managers into ETF issuers. So, Kellen, you mentioned ETF securities being impacted by the circular. Can you explain to us what an ETF is and how these proposed changes might have given investors more scope to invest internationally? Sure. An ETF is an open-ended fund which is listed on a stock exchange. ETFs can reference foreign assets. For example, an S&P 500 ETF would track the performance of the U.S. stock market. Previously, ETFs referencing foreign assets could not be used to exceed the 30% offshore limit imposed by Reg 28 due to the look-through principle. The look-through principle requires fund managers to look through any product wrapper and classify the exposure based on the underlying investments. The proposed changes to the exchange control regulations would now classify these ETFs as domestic, thereby making the application of the look-through principle inappropriate as it would conflict with the Saab classification of a domestic and foreign asset. Putting this all together, the result would be that an ETF can now be used to obtain foreign exposure in the 70% domestic allocation of a Reg 28 fund. 
So it makes a lot of sense that this would be a highly contested development. What will happen um, going forward? Since the circulars have been retracted, the public as well as industry stakeholders are invited to provide comments and requests for further information up until the 15th of December. We've also received an indication from the National Treasury that uh, there's potential for an announcement to be made on Budget Day in 2021. It's going to be very interesting to see how the story progresses. Kellen, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Guy, thanks for having me. Chris, you were looking at the European Central Bank's announcement around dividend payouts. Yes, guys. So this is an update on a story that broke in March this year when the European Central Bank, the ECB, ordered European banks to stop paying dividends and to hold share buybacks in order to preserve funds for the forthcoming COVID-19 economic storm. Since then, as we reported last week, the ECB's Secretary General, Carolyn Rogers, has urged banks to continue to hold off on paying dividends, even as the economy begins to return to normal levels. In her interview, Carolyn Rogers said that it is too early for banks to take a victory lap over coronavirus just yet. Yeah, we covered the story in some detail last week, so what's changed since then? Well, this week the ECB has signaled that they may lift the dividend ban in the near future. In this regard, the Vice President of the ECB, Yves Merch, has noted that whilst it would be prudent for banks to hold back as much funding as possible right now, it will be legally difficult for the ECB to outright block banks from paying dividends next year. The story is still developing, so we will keep you informed with updates in the coming weeks. Chris, we also had some significant and negative news around South Africa's credit ratings. Yes, so in this month's credit rating reviews by the credit rating agencies Fitch and Moody's, South Africa has been dealt a double whammy with regard to its credit rating. In the last week, both Fitch and Moody's have downgraded South Africa's sovereign debt to two and three ratings below junk, respectively. What was perhaps the most concerning about the ratings adjustment was that they were largely unexpected, with most analysts agreeing that the rating downgrade would be avoided in this review cycle. However, the ratings agencies nevertheless pulled the trigger and markets reacted as they always do with negative surprising news. Not well. In response, Finance Minister Tito Mbueni has said that the decision by the rating agencies was a painful one and that the downgrades will have immediate implications for the nation's borrowing costs. To address the situation, Mbueni said there's an urgent need for government to implement structural reforms to avoid further harm to the economy's sovereign rating. Another story that we've been following quite a lot is the contingent business interruption insurance payout. So we looked at that from a UK perspective with our news posts. Uh, What's been happening in South Africa lately? So there's been quite an interesting ruling on a contingent business interruption insurance case in South Africa, with the Western Cape High Court finding that Suntum was liable to indemnify some of its policyholders for loss of revenue due to the COVID-19 pandemic, in line with their business interruption insurance policies. Now, the reason this is interesting is that this year, insurance companies around the world have seen a sharp increase in the number of claims made under business interruption policies due to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on business activities. Payment of these claims has, however, been highly contested owing to the often complex wording of these kinds of insurance policies. In September, the UK High Court handed down a judgment in a business interruption insurance test case that was carried out by the British Financial Conduct Authority, ruling that the pandemic and the government's and public response satisfied the criteria to trigger payments on business interruption insurance claims. At the time, industry commentators suggested 
that the UK ruling could potentially set a global precedent in favour of claimants, and this appears to be true for South Africa at least. Many people have applauded the ruling, seeing it as an example of how courts, both locally and internationally, are practically applying the spirits of treating customers fairly. In last week's episode, we took a look at the Financial Stability Board's 60-page report on the March market turmoil. So that's a period during quarter one and quarter two of 2020 when international markets came under significant liquidity stress because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So not to be outdone, the Saab has released their Financial Stability Review report sitting at a whopping 100 pages. The review is part of a biannual publication uh, where the Saab identifies and analyzes risks to the South African financial system's stability. So that would be looking at its resilience to systemic risk, as well as its ability to efficiently intermediate funds. Overall, the Saab expects our financial stability to remain intact, with South African banks continuing to remain well capitalized. However, the COVID-19 pandemic seems to be exacerbating underlying issues in our already frail economy, with government and household solvency risks becoming increasingly worrying. Chris, some of the things that South Africa seems to get consistently right is our regulatory framework and risk management practices among banks, something that National Treasury has admitted has shielded us from a lot of the fallout of the global financial crisis. What does the review have to say about bank stability in South Africa? Yes, Guy, there does seem to be some good news in between all the economic chaos after all. In the Saab's financial stability report, it noted that South Africa's commercial banks seem to be in a healthy position despite the significant economic shocks it has faced this year. The report focused heavily on South Africa's six biggest commercial banks and, amongst other things, it noted that while the general economic situation is bleak, the banking sector in South Africa has seemingly weathered the storm well. Despite a large amount of debt being restructured by the banks because of COVID, as well as the banks being urged by government to continue lending in these difficult times. The banks have performed well in the stress test scenarios performed by the Saab, ultimately showing that the banks are well capitalized to deal with these external shocks. So Chris, you mentioned solvency stress testing, um, which we see is becoming an increasingly pertinent topic around the world, specifically ad hoc stress testing used for specialized scenarios like COVID-19. How did the Saab go about their stress testing during this time and what are some of the main takeaways? So the Saab conducted stress tests that tested three possible scenarios facing banks, a pre-COVID-19 baseline scenario, a COVID-19 baseline scenario, and a stress scenario, the latter involving a scenario with more severe downturns than those already expected. Even after these stress tests, however, South Africa's systematically important banks are expected to remain adequately capitalized, even in the face of an even more severe downturn scenario than is currently projected. In the end, After all the tests, the banks were expected to maintain an aggregate level of capital well above the minimum regulatory requirement, according to the report, which is certainly good news. So unfortunately, the report also contains a lot of worrying data, and the Saab describes the interconnectedness between the financial sector and the sovereign as a major threat to financial stability in South Africa. Think about the debt to GDP, which is set to increase to 82% this year, joining some of the other highly leveraged states like the USA, that has a debt to GDP of 131%, the UK, which is 108%, and India, which shares a similar socio-economic scenario to South Africa at 89%. Robin, what does our growing sovereign debt mean for us as a country and what makes it so potentially damaging to our financial system? So the Saab's identified four main areas in which the interconnectedness of the financial sector and the sovereign could pose a serious threat to the economy. 
The first relates to the fact that South African banks are large holders of sovereign debt, so the deterioration in public finances therefore has direct adverse effects on the perceived creditworthiness of the banks themselves. And this is something we've already seen, as we mentioned earlier, with Fitch and Moody's deciding to downgrade South Africa's credit rating last week. Secondly, one of the roles of governments is to provide support for banks in the event of financial crises. So the government's current financial position is severely damaging the credibility of a fiscal backstop, with adverse implications for bank funding costs. The third aspect to consider is the role that the current economic downturn is playing. With substantial pressure being placed on the fiscus, there is a need for growth-friendly fiscal consolidation. But if the financial sector goes through a period of stress, it may be forced to reduce the extension of credit to the economy, which could in turn reduce economic activity and constrain government's tax revenue. The efficacy of a fiscal consolidation will therefore be heavily contingent on the health of the economy and the financial sector. Lastly, government borrowing costs are important reference interest rates in the economy, and as government's longer-term borrowing costs have remained relatively high, so too have the borrowing costs of private sector bond issues. An elevated risk-free rate may also affect the attractiveness of investments undertaken by firms and investors, constraining private investments and raising the overall cost of borrowing in the economy. One thing that I noticed is that while banks remain relatively healthy, the banking sector is going to need increased levels of profitability to rebuild any loss-absorbing capital that is depleted. With that, the Saab have stated that they believe it'll take around three years for our economy to recover. It seems likely a very uncertain time for the country. Another interesting thing that caught my attention was the Saab sector analysis on non-bank financial institutions. We discussed this last week after the FSB pointed to these institutions as having a large impact on the March liquidity market stresses seen internationally. Robin, what did the Saab have to say regarding South Africa's NBFIs? So the report covers a number of NBFIs in quite a bit of detail, but what was interesting specifically with regard to insurers is that the Saab has noted some concerns surrounding the fact that insurance premium income has stagnated, that the life insurance industry is facing more lapses than policies written, and that the profitability of life insurers has dropped significantly in 2020. Some good news, though, is that despite recent challenges, the insurance sector remains adequately capitalized for all types of insurers. However, one thing to note is that the Saab has warned that increased claims for certain insurance products could pose risks to individual insurers, and one example of where increased claims could come from is the business interruption policies we were speaking about earlier. For more information on developments of financial stability around the world and here in South Africa, please subscribe to the Monocle Current Account Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All the links to the headlines and stories covered in this podcast are in the description above. From everyone in the Monocle Research and Content team, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Visit monocle.co.za or co.uk to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle, we design change.